everyone. This is Caillou, and welcome back to Return to the Realm. As always, I'm here with Alice and Leah, and today we're going to be covering chapters 29 through 34 of Mad Ship. Um, and we were talking before the episode and saying, like, wow, shit really hits the fan in this episode. Like, we say every time for, like, the past, like, three episodes, but it's true this time too, guys, I swear. Um, Bing Town goes down in flames, the state trap is kidnapped, uh, the... Uh, and then Wintro and Kenneth go to the other's island, and Wintro uh, inadvertently sets off on a rescue mission that puts his life in danger. Um, and somehow the place <coughs> where there's the least action is on on Paragon, but even then uh, we have Althea being a badass. So lots to talk about this episode. Um, and given the events that happen here... Uh, Extra special reminder that this is a spoilers all podcast, which means that we're going to be uh, talking about stuff that happens not just through the end of this book, not just for the end of this trilogy, but also for all 16 books in the Realm of the Eldorn cycle. If you haven't read any of those, uh, now is your warning. Click off now or forever be spoiled. <laughs> yeah, uh, let's get right into it. We have so much to talk about today. Um, chapter 30, Shakedown. Um, so in this chapter, uh, we have the first sort of interaction of Althea, Amber, etc. having set sail on Paragon, uh, doing their thing. Um, but a majority of the chapter is concerned with Kenneth and the crew of, of Vivatia return to Divi Town to find that it's been burned down by slavers and in the uh, in the aftermath Kenneth gets blamed for it and there's tension and a conflict that happens there I love how that's the biggest thing that happened in this chapter and I have like minimal notes about that <laughs> all I have stuff from like Althea and Amber and then I've got like a couple things that the charm said and that's it I feel like going through our notes in general, I feel like we get the most miles without talking about like the most irrelevant parts of the like <laughs> That's the, true. Something big will happen and we'll be like, yeah, a big thing happened. Let's analyze this one line that Amber said for 20 minutes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes, exactly what I did. It's like, sure, okay, the state trap got kidnapped, but can we talk about Malta though? Okay, no, no, there, there's a lot to talk about. There, there's genuinely a lot to talk about with Malta. If we're on that, though, I did have to laugh when Kefria is, like, going to search for Malta, and she's, like, going in the carriage. I, this is so bad, but I cracked up when she's like, oh, my God, I stepped on her, Malta, and started wailing. <laughs> I just thought that was the funniest thing ever. But, like, poor Malta. She passed out. She got stepped on by her mom, but, like. It's okay for us because we know she's fine. Like, yeah. you know? <laughs> yeah, it was just so funny because she was, like, so hysterical. She's like, I stepped on her with my baby. <laughs> I just couldn't. But that was all. Kefria not giving enough attention to her daughter one last time. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> actually. <laughs> it's a wonder she doesn't come home to visit. Yeah, oh, that, well, that, 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 that might just canonically the reason we don't see Kefria. 
in Rainwild. Oh my god. Actually, none of the kids go back to visit. <laughs> she doesn't visit. Um, as long as we're on the Kefria topic, like, when the whole Bingtown thing's about to go down, it's, like, really obvious that something bad is happening, um, and Veronica's like, where's Selden? And Kefria's like, I don't know. <laughs> I know, she's over she she five it's minutes like, like, she's right here. Yeah. Like, you literally think riots are about to break out, and you're trying to, like, leave, and you just don't pay attention at all to where one of your, like, small children is. You're letting him run off and play with people. Ridiculous. She's the worst mom ever. (laughs) Like, oh my god. While we're on the Kefria slander as well, um, in chapter 31... Uh, there's this start where Malta is just being real about all the stuff that's happening, and Kefri is like, it's going to be great, don't worry about it. And it's just like, the specific line is like, had their discipline, lessons, and chores destroyed this selfish, flighty girl and replaced her with this weary, cynical young woman? And it's like... That was their purpose, in making her do chores. Kefri comes to like the worst case. She's like stuck ignoring reality Mm -hmm. and like vicariously lived through Malta's presentation. It feels like. Yep. It also annoyed me because Malta's trying to sit down and have this adult conversation with her mom, and Kefria, like, is so uncomfortable by serious topics and, like, everything that's going on in Bingtown that she, like, tries her hardest to just avoid it. And I think that if it were Ronica, she would have sat down and had that conversation and be like, yeah, like, horrible things are happening and it's scary and, like, we don't know what we're doing, but we need to stick together. And, like, that would have been so much better. Malta, like, I feel like Kefria doing that, like, isolates her from Malta. And so Malta won't come to her with serious issues anymore because okay. she's proven to Malta that she can't handle that. Um, when I posted our, like, Discord chat stuff on Instagram for the one-year anniversary, one of the comments that we got on it was just, Kefria is the worst. <laughs> it's like, she yeah. Sure is. Agreed. Yeah, everybody agrees with us. Mm-hmm. I think, like, part of it is, if it was just that she was, like, in this section, if she was just, like, oh, my kid's growing up so fast, I miss, like, when they were just a child or whatever, I think that would be fine, but it almost feels like Kefria is trying to, like, stay being a child herself she's like i don't i, I don't want to be an adult right now i don't want to have to be real with you it's really you're making me really uncomfortable by like being real with me malta and it's like ah. i think that's how she's been this whole time like she's just delusional since the beginning of magic and like she just wants to stay that way it's ridiculous i would agree i concur it's true I do not care for her at all. And Understatement like, of the century. I don't even like hate Ronica anymore, but I fucking hate Kefria. Okay, so. Ronica, despite all of the fucked up shit she does, and the, she actively she actively tries, and she's like, even at the ripe old age of sixty or whatever, she's like growing. And Kefria mm-hmm. is just like not. Kefria's yeah. like stunted. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and at this point, you can't even blame it on, like, 
all the other shit that she had to go through with Kyle or whatever. Because I feel like... Right. Yeah. It's just her mm-hmm. refusing to acknowledge anything or grow up. It's interesting that she's, like, the eldest because she does not give off elder child energy at all. Mm-mm. She gives really? off, like, she gives off youngest child energy. Yes, she does. So I wonder if all the boys were older than her. Probably. That's why. To me, she does give off, like, elder child vibes of, like, the thing of, like, I was always so pampered and taken care of that, like, I, I don't know how to, like, live life on my own. And meanwhile, Althea is like, I am the last child, and so none of my parents ever cared about me because they were already done having kids. Or, like, I, I, Efren cared about her, but, like, Ron. It's that's usually the opposite. What? Yeah. No way. No, no, no. <laughs> the oldest that's kid the, is the test. You're the, like, yes. first one. You're the mistake. You're and the then once the kids child. know how to raise you, then the youngest one is, like, the perfect. They're the baby, and they always get taken care of. Maybe so it's definitely the reverse. Interesting. Maybe it's, like a, cult- my... Maybe it's like a cultural thing, but I definitely feel like in like this, 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 this family's alignment, it's like the first child is like the baby, there's so much, and then after, like the, the children after, it's like, okay, we've gotten tired of you and bored of you. Like, Well, yeah, that's the opposite of my two families. They're the both like, yeah, the eldest is like the practice one, and then the eldest like, the parents are harder on them because they don't know what battles to pick yet, so they're just picking all the battles. Mm-hmm. And by the time the youngest comes along, it's like, oh, they're my baby. They're the last one. Yeah. They can do I whatever they want. They never get in trouble. And they never have to do their own laundry. <laughs> this is getting personal. <laughs> <laughs> That's definitely how it is in my family, too. I've only seen this, like, experience this vicariously since I am an only child, so I will defer to y'all. Yeah, it could just be a cultural thing. Like, I think in everyone that I've grown up with, if they're the, like, a lot of my friends are the youngest, so they were, like, the pampered baby ones. Mm -hmm. But they'll recognize, they'll be like, oh, yeah, it was way easier for me because... My older sister, like, put my parents through the ringer, so by the time I came along, they didn't care about anything. <laughs> yeah, okay. Do we, do we have the, the Kefri out of our system now? For now. Okay, okay. <laughs> the... Yeah. But yeah, okay, back to chapter 30. Um, I... The very start of the chapter, Amber is, like, talking about how she's always had, like, a place to go to where she can find, like, solitude. Um, and that made me think of two things. The first is just, like, it's it's insane. Like, this is the first time we've seen Amber, like, well and truly frustrated. I think it's, it's really fun. Because, like, so far they've been, like, this human, but also sort of, like, cool and wise prophet who is, like always chill and if they're upset it's because they're like upset in like a very like i care about you paragon type way like sort of do no wrong and then we get here and then amber's fucking pissed she's like jack left our fucking bag here i can't can't get any privacy he fucking sucks get me off this shit and it's just like 
I like you. Like, yes, be annoyed, be human for, for a second. Um, and the second is that how uncomfortable Amber feels here, like, really puts into perspective how much she loves Fish, because the skill mark makes it so that she's never actually truly alone, because she always has Fish with her, so. I didn't even think about that. Um, well, I didn't think that either. Mm -hmm. Well, okay, I did skim ahead a little bit. And I paused on a section where, like, Paragon and Amber are talking to each other. And Paragon's like, there's two of me. They're, like, two me. And Amber's like, oh, sometimes I feel that way, too. Like, there's another that, like, I feel is part of myself. And he's like, no, like, it's not just two people. It's me and also me. <laughs> and, but, like, you see that Amber was talking about fish. And we just miss them. Yeah, I do miss fish. There's also some a line in this section that reminded me of a conversation that the fool and fish have had many a time already. And it's like, Amber's like, what would you like to do about half? Amber asks quietly from the bottom bunk. It spooks me when you do that, Althea complains. Like, for sure, the fool has read Fish's mind so many times and he like jumps and gets spooked by it every single time and he hates it and I love it. I noted that down too. Like Amber and Amber explains it to Althea. She's like, Oh, I'm basically like I'm reading your body language and I am picking like whatever is the most likely thing to be bothering you right now. But the fool never gives that explanation to Fitz. Just like starts talking and Fitz is internally like, how does he always know? Well, I feel like that was an excuse. Like that wasn't the full truth. The ex the explanation that Amber gave to Althea, because I feel like there are times when the fool walks, like Fitz is walking in the hall by himself, and the fool comes up and just like immediately continues the thought process that Fitz was having in his mind, and. I think the fool even says, like, sometimes I just get, like, feelings of what to say. And I feel like it's mostly that. But, like, a little bit of it could be, like, reading the body language. But, obviously, Amber's not going to be like, oh, yeah, I'm a fortune teller. And, like, I can see all this stuff. And, like, I'm the white prophet. So, like, just tell me what's going on. I think that there are, like, there are times when it's, like, prophetic speed. Like, you can tell when it's, like... I guess, portentous conversation. But I feel like there's also other times where it's just like, I feel like Fitz is like, a two, he's like a two-page book. You can read him like this. So he, yeah. he, he's not even a book. He's That's a pamphlet, true. a brochure. So like, Not even a folded one. He's a flyer. Yeah. <laughs> so like, flyer Fitz. There's definitely times where like, the fool will come out and be like, Fitz, you have to do this important thing. There are times where it's like, hey, Fitz, I bet you're worried about this thing. And Fitz is like, what the fuck? How did you know? Mm -hmm. That's true. And the fool knows Fitz so well. And, like, now with the skill connection, like, the fool doesn't even have to guess. Or, like, use right. their white prophet magic. They just have to use the skill link. Also, I think, like, uh, I love the answer that Althea gives to the que to Amber's question, where it's like, right, uh, to answer your question, I'd like to kick him in the balls. And it's just like, 
I, I just, I don't know why, but, like, I, I, I'm getting a kick out of seeing both Amber and Althea just, like, in grouchy mode and, like, commiserating. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it is nice. Mm-hmm. Because I feel like it shows them being normal. Like, they're not stressing out and worrying about all of these huge things that are happening to them. It's like they have little complaints and annoyances in their life just like all of us too like they're normal people mm-hmm. so you're saying that they aren't like wimps though gotcha yes let us correct <laughs> wimp trope problems are always like earth shattering even if they're not winter will make them seem like they are <laughs> Honestly, I'm surprised he didn't spend more time reflecting on the fact that he killed a person in this section. Well, I think the only reason he... Yeah, the only reason he didn't was because he got distracted by, like, a serpent. serpent. Mm -hmm. Playing animal rescue. (laughs) I think my only... The rest of my notes are about... Um, Wintro and Kennet stuff. Me too. Mine are about that section. Okay, so mm-hmm. let's jump over there. Uh, uh, oh, sorry, go ahead. Okay, I was just gonna say, like, I think this is something that, yeah, I, literally everyone has noted uh, the stuff about uh, the charm and it's and how it talks about the cycle. Um, I think you guys have different notes about that, but like my my thing was, it just reminded me of the way that Amber talks about the cycles of time. Um, there's all there's I think there's other stuff in the section, uh, like later chapters w- which also reference like cyclical nature of time or whatever. Mm-hmm. And I, I I love that parallel just because it feels like in the section as a whole, there's like this really uh, this. There, there's always been like this theme of like destiny and fate um how what is the uh like is there a predestination or is there a chance or whatever um and they're really hammering it in on that in this section but also all the discussion around that really annoys me because i'm like in the in the end like where's is there because i don't remember there being a good payoff for it in the next book so i'm just i'm hoping that like i missed it the first time i'm like praying with f- fingers crossed just like let there be a good resolution to this theme for folklore. Yeah, that's all I had to say about that part. Um, my note about that part was just that, like, I can't believe on my first read I didn't, like, put the pieces together about Kenneth's past before it's, like, smacked the face um because it's so obvious on a reread mm-hmm. like what happened yeah like it's it's that fine line that she always walks where it's like there's the clues are so obvious on a reread but subtle still somehow subtle enough that first time readers don't pick up on it a lot of the time and i, I just love that i think it's so impressive yeah, Kenneth's history is laid out like there, right mm-hmm. here for all to see. If yep. you look, like it's clear that he was the captive boy, like family to the live ship. Especially if the charm is saying that he's following in Ugras' footsteps, 
that would mean like you would assume that Tenet was first in Egret's shadow, like living as the captive boy among the live ships, especially because Egret had the live ships. Like it all comes together, and none of us saw it until it was like literally told to us when Tenet's dying. <clears throat> and, and the only live ship that's ever like had gone where a period where they no one knows what they were doing, and the only live ship that's talked about pirates killing and killing on their decks is Paragon. So, like, what other live ship would Egrot have had? Jesus. So, it's, yeah, it's the connection is, like, so obvious, but... We're focused on so many other things that we don't see it until it's right there. Especially, like, I feel like we're paying special attention to what the charm says now, but I also, when I was first reading, I was, like, I vacillated between, like, oh, this is super important, and also, like, the charm is just talking bullshit all the time? Give me, like, give me something? So mm-hmm. I, I definitely feel like it, uh, as, like, a mouthpiece for all of this, it is a little unreliable, or perceived as unreliable. Yeah, on your first read, you don't know how much stock to put into what the charm is saying. Yeah. <clears throat> True. But speaking of Kenneth, I just, like, had this thought while I was reading it that like the theme of this trilogy or a big theme of it is that you're like how bad in action can be like oh you don't think you can do anything so you just go along with the status quo but that's like just as bad as actively doing something bad and I feel like you can see that in Kennet versus the Bingtown traders especially at like this point in the way Bingtown has gotten um because basically like slaves are allowed there they have Chalcidian galleys like up in Bingtown Harbor just vibing and um shit's gone really downhill because the traders even though they don't like any of it they don't want to like cause a ruckus or make an issue so they don't do anything which leads to all this bad stuff Whereas Kenneth, even though he's only one person, and even though his intentions aren't good, like, everything he's doing is for power and for control, the actions that he's taking are still, like, better for the community and the people because he's taking actions, even though his intentions aren't, like, coming from that good of a place. So I just thought that was, like, an interesting parallel. Like, one person with ill intentions still taking action is better than like this large group that may have good intentions but is doing nothing to prevent anything i kind of agree but sort of on like i guess like a perpendicular thing where it's like i think that the reason that kenneth is like taking those actions is because of people around him like in, in this specific example here like if it wasn't for wintrow standing up for him and basically being his mouthpiece. Kenneth was like, Aldrich, he was like, nope, nope, I'm getting back on the ship. These guys are going to kill me. I got to dip. I got to get out of here. And it's only Wintrow speaking up that convinces him to, like, actually go and fish out his plans and strive for rebuilding the town. So, like, I, I think it's... I agree with everything except, like, the one, the one man part of it because I think that it... The theme is almost like it's speaking to how 
people need to encourage others to take action as well. Like there needs to be like the first person to speak out uh, will lead, will like cause others to follow them, right? And so that's the case with like, and that keeps happening with like Winfro, Etta, Sorkor. They all like, they take the first step and then Kenneth provides the follow through. Yeah, I could see that. Mm-hmm. But that's still showing that it takes just one person to, like one person speaking out to make this huge change because it is still like one of them. Like not, I feel like the three of them have never spoken out They're at never... the same time. Yeah, it's like they yeah. take turns. Right. It's always one of them. And then Kenneth's like, oh yeah, okay, like we can, we can do this. <laughs> Right, and it's like I guess we can start capturing slavers. Yeah, and he's still not doing it for like the betterment of the person who like spoke out about it. He's still like, oh well, I'll get more power if I do this or if I follow along or whatever. Yeah, there's literally the part like later on in this uh, in the section where the charm calls him out and is like. Yeah, you're doing this all for control. And that... Mm-hmm. We knew that a long time ago. The charm didn't have to tell us. Yeah, but it's, it's nice I'm... to have confirmation. Yeah, I was like, I think maybe I'm a little bit stupid because for <laughs> a long time I was like, why is Kenneth doing this? I can't figure it out. And then the charm was like, for control. And I was like, oh... Well, it, it's also because we're uh, we're just sort of becoming aware of his trauma, right? Like at the start, yeah. it was just like, "Oh, asshole," and, and it's like, "Okay, he, he's just he's he's a garden variety villain." But then now that like he's because he's like in this section in the section where the charm is talking about control, uh, Kenneth is like he had always loved this type of work. It was like creating his own world. A tidy and orderly world where things made sense and were arranged to their best advantage. And then he goes on to talk about how his dad made plans for the island and how those went well until Egrot came. And so it's like, oh, now I get where this motivation is coming from. Which, like, bef- really it, like, just like, oh, sorry, go ahead. He, need, he needs to just, like, buy SimCity or something. <laughs> yeah. He needs to buy some city, and he needs to get himself a therapist, and he would be fine. Mm-hmm. He'd be fine. Rip, rip to Kenneth, he would have loved the 21st century. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe like Age of Empires, or... That, like... or Kenneth would be like a CEO of an awful like company. Uh, multi-million. He would be. He'd be like the CEO of like an oil company. Mm-hmm. And then he... They'd be like, wow... Look, they've donated so much to this charity, and it's like, ah ha ha, yeah, that was me and not my secretary. Totally. Or, yeah, or he'd like start getting into green energy, and everyone would be like, oh my god, this company is so good. They're starting to do like earth friendly, sustainable, blah, blah, blah. And really, it's just because he saw that like the investment on like wind turbines is really good right now. Yeah. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Honestly, like, uh, hot takes if you're an Elon Musk fan like cover your ears but seeing how like 
like stupid and childish Elon Musk is and still have he still has so many like bros who are like, Yeah, dude, Elon Musk is yeah. the truth. Like Kenneth would pro Kenneth is like not subtle, but he's definitely more subtle than that motherfucker. So Yeah. <laughs> Kenneth's like all of those like the Elon Musk, Andrew Tate, um Jeff Bezos, like all of those evil rich people that just like spew nonsense and dude bros are like oh my god the gospel yes <laughs> yeah Kenneth yeah, would be thriving especially in the age of social media where like he could get word out faster and stuff and he, mm. he like he would have that control so much like like, like, like so much more easily he could control his image even better mm -hmm. yep this would not be a good time for us if Kenneth was alive. Mm -hmm. That's for damn sure. I could see him like trying to become president and like succeeding, and that would not. In, in America, people would definitely vote for him because everybody's stupid here. Yeah. Speaking of stupid mobs of people. Um, <laughs> my, 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 my last note for this chapter is about like Wintro talking to the survivors from Dippy Town, who are just like, "How dare you let us?" And then like Wintro's like, "The, you guys just keep, like, you guys keep thinking that you can just emu it and put your head in the sand." Um, mm -hmm. And there's like, you still believe that. The evil that befalls another means not nothing to you. And it, it feels like he really hits a nail on the head in terms of just that's the theme of the entire uh, trilogy. Or like there's multiple themes, but that's like one of the big themes. It, it, and uh, with Amber reiterating in the earlier section about trying to look for a nine-fingered slave boy, I think you can 100% like make the connection that, oh, she's looking for Wintrow because... Wintrow is espousing mm -hmm. the same things as well. Mm -hmm. um, I thought Wintrow was a little strange in this chapter just because, like, as recently as, like, the last time we saw Wintrow, Vivacia was singing Kenneth's praises, and Wintrow was like, I don't know, I don't trust him, I don't know what his motives are, like, he might be doing good things, but, like, he's killing people, and then all of a sudden in this chapter, he, like, literally gets in front of Kenneth to fight the mob and protect Kenneth, and it just felt really abrupt to me, and then, like, later on in a, in a different part of the section, I don't think it's this chapter, but... He says something about, like, um, like, I know what Kenneth's trying to do now, and I believe him wholeheartedly, and I think he's, like, my purpose in being here and being alive. And I don't know, I just, it felt, there wasn't, like, a gradual, like, with the change that we see in Malta, it's very gradual, and I feel like this change in Wintrow isn't, it just kind of came out of nowhere to me. It really makes you feel like you missed a step somewhere. 
Because, like, mm-hmm. it was only last section where Vi- Vivacia was like, I'm not thinking about that anymore. And Winter was like, you should think about it. He's not great. And mm-hmm. all of a sudden now he's like, me and Bestie. And it, yeah. And I feel like it, it's it's not like there's some things where, like, there wasn't room or time. It feels like Wintro could have, like, alongside Vivacia, like, developed into a, a Kenneth Truther or whatever. But mm-hmm. instead it feels like he does a complete 180 off screen for some reason. Right. I, I guess it's supposed to be that, like, he's hanging out with Etta and then he's like, wow, this is so great. I love Kenneth now. That's also very fucking stupid. So I don't know. Well, and they they put in, like, the flashback where he's, like, with Kenneth when Kenneth's laying out all these plans and whatever to give, like, a little bit of explanation, but I, I don't know. I don't feel like that's good enough, and uh, she it could have been, like, even if there was one part where Kenneth was making a plan and thinking about how good it would be for the people there and Vivacia like felt it and then Wintra felt it like maybe something like that could have made it a little bit more realistic to me but I don't know it felt lacking I think that it's it was like a mixture of things it's like Kenneth taking Wintro on this like look how good I am tour of all of the different towns and stuff he's helped establish and make better and then coming to Divi Town and seeing, like, hearing Kenneth be like, well, I tried to tell you guys. Like, he literally is, like, saying, I told you so. And how the people, like, turn against him. That made Wintro realize, like, oh, they're all idiots. And Kenneth actually does have a good heart because he tried for years to, like, help these people, but they just never listened. Yeah. It makes sense. Yeah, I, I just think, don't I like it. I think we almost needed to, like, cut from Kenneth's perspective to Winthrow's perspective. Yeah. yeah. I I would agree with that. That was my last note. It's not very often that I complain about something in Robin Hobb's writing, but that's mm. one complaint I have. Also, Edda does say to, like, Kenneth when she comes back to his room... She's like, oh yeah, like Winter really took to heart, like the words that I just said randomly one day, which were like, you need to start living your life because like trying to change it or always striving for a different life isn't what it is. Like maybe this is the path that Saw puts you on. And I think that is some part of it that really swayed Wintro. Like it was seeing Kenneth doing all of these things mixed with his thought of like okay like Sa wanted me to be with this man and like see all of these things that he's doing yeah Yeah, like he's probably been mulling that over in his head since Etta said it yeah definitely okay next up we're to chapter 31 the con um so we finally get uh, the summer ball, um, which was supposed to be Malta's big moment. But uh, despite things initially going well, uh, it all falls apart when Davad frantically 
Oh, wait. Oh, well, actually, no, that happens next chapter. Whoops. My bad. Mal I forgot because the, the two chapters kind of uh, go into each Run other. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Sorry. So oh, here, no. here we have a conversation. There's a conversation between Malta and Chekhar before the ball. We see uh, Cyrilla uh, pondering living in Devad's uh, living in Devad's house and what her next steps are going to need to be to secure power to herself. And then we have a little section. I think this is the only Devad point of view we get, where he's like, "Yeah," and we just yeah, I'll talk about that when we get there because that's a doozy. But yeah. Yeah. It is. Um, I just realized that this chapter is the calm and the next chapter is the storm. So this is the calm before the storm. <laughs> That's so clever. Yeah. We're, we're back. Uh, Roth of friendship with Robin Hobb restored. Can do good writing. <laughs> <laughs> yep. This I forgive her now for me not understanding Wintrow's character growth mm. or lack or character regression. <laughs> yeah, that is <laughs> definitely not growth. This is the chapter in which Kefria just tries to like gloss over everything and Malta's mm -hmm. like, Mother, there's no trade there's been no trade since like the Chalcinians made the like blockade. Trade is the lifeblood of Bingtown. There's no bloodshed when someone is strangled, but it's still murder all the same. And I feel like that hits Kefria way too hard. And like Malta is so much more a Vestrite than Kefria can ever dream of being. Yeah, Malta in this chapter shows that she's like wiser and more mature than Kefria already, just from like doing chores for one year. <laughs> yeah. I mean, also, her father being kidnapped forced her to grow up real quick, so. That's true, I think too. That was the real catalyst. I don't even think it was the chores and shit. I think it was definitely, like. Well, well, well having to do the books bad. gave her, like, the tool. Like, once she got the motivation, it gave her the skills to be able to actually pursue stuff. Um, yeah. But yeah, speaking of skills, uh, there's definitely. Both in this chapter and the next, there's sort of like a. A continued commentary on sort of like the agency that men have in the Bingtown society as opposed to women and there's a line about that that stood out to me from Malta's like because lots of what Malta's talking about is sort of just like what like what we mentioned earlier like being realistically cynical and Kefra refusing to accept it or just Malta being depressed about the situation but one of the lines was um she's talking about rain and sometimes and she's like sometimes i don't know if i love him or it seems that i just want the man because he is who i wish i were uh, in the sense of like i like i and i took that to mean like i i want those agency and the opportunities that they have and then in i think this is in the next chapter uh dello is talking to malta and she's like how do you do it you comprehend things so well sometimes you sound almost like a man when you talk and it's sort of like how in Big Town society over time they've sort they've ascribed these both opportunities and like interest slash investment in politics to the men and that's caused like a failure in the society. Yeehaw. Yeah. And that should have just been a traitor characteristic, but they've regressed 
to the point where it's like an only man characteristic now mm-hmm. and it's uncomely for a woman to like be interested in those things Wait, did we have anything else to talk about the Malta and Kepra section? I think we kind of... Yeah, <laughs> I think that. Yeah, I got that earlier. <laughs> okay. yeah. um, the second part of this chapter is Cirilla... We, yeah, like I mentioned, we see Cirilla living in Devad's home. Unfortunately for her, the satrap has made a almost full recovery. And so now she's sort of biting her nails trying to figure out how, what do I do now that my original plan has fallen apart. Um... Didn't really have much to say about that. I was just like, I love Cirilla being looking around Devad's like rickety ass, un, like uncleaned house, and being like, "Wow, we really are in the provinces, huh?" That's like, <laughs> no, dear Devad, just fucking sucks. <laughs> yeah. And then his POV, he's like, "Oh, my wife would be so proud. I'm doing so well." And everyone hates him. Yeah, it's and like, your wife would be warning you to st- stop saying stupid shit. She would right. be mortified and for sure divorce him. Like, even though that's not something that's allowed, she would divorce his ass because of the stupid stuff he's been doing. She might have been like an I can fix him type person, though. For sure uh, she was. But I feel like after seeing all the, like, the path he's gone down, I do not think she would be like that. She'd be like, he's too far gone. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's crazy like how much this dude like I feel like this dude I feel like Devad's been like he's been pitied so much that he's like internalized the pity other people have for him Is it, yes. I don't even know like, cause like there's a line where it's like the plague had most cruelly spared him left him to live alone speaking to the memories of his family always imagining what they would say what they would think of all he was doing each day and it's like on one hand, this is really sad. On the other hand, it feels like there are other people in your life who you can talk to, Devad. You can try living a little and not mm-hmm. j- and like listening to the people in your life who tell you you're doing stupid shit instead of the dead ghosts, of, like the dead memories of your family who will always validate you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, he's just like wallowing and it seems like he likes it. Mm-hmm. I think he does. And it's, it's really interesting for a character who is so trapped in the past to be the one who races into these new endeavors with the new traitors and everything that ends up, like, killing Bing Town. And himself. Yeah. Thank Cause, goodness. Because there is this... Because it's, it's almost as though, like, he's trapped in the past personally, but, like, professionally slash financially, he's, he's, like full steam ahead yeah which is the opposite of uh or maybe not the opposite but it's, it's not the trajectory that most of the other traders are on yeah it, it it's good that we're going to get a devad redemption arc over the course of the next uh his book right guys right guys <laughs> Sure. Anyways, chapter 32, <laughs> The Storm. Um, 
we get the actual summer ball in this chapter. Uh, and things are going well for Malta until Devad calls her up to be presented before the safe trap. Um, who essentially not so subtly says, Hey, if you whore yourself out to me, I might go and rescue your father. And so Malta's placed in this incredibly like fucked up position of like deciding uh how much am i willing to sacrifice like how much am i willing to sacrifice to save my father in the meantime like she's being literally flung around on the dance floor between rain and serwin who are each being idiots in their own certified ways um <laughs> so yes it's it's generally not a great time and then there's also this whole political thing going on where Cyrilla's like by the way, I'm pretty sure the Chalcedians are planning to like assassinate the safe trap like tonight. We y'all need to y'all need to dip, and we need to save the safe trap for like some sense of stability. Um. Well, I have a couple things to say, but one of them is I wonder if that's even true, or if Cirilla is just trying to cause chaos to like get herself separated from the safe trap and get control. Because whoever, if she's aligned with whoever has the Satrap in custody, um, then she's doing well. And obviously she doesn't want that to be the Chalcidians because they hate women and they wouldn't give her any power anyways. So, yeah, I'm just like, I wonder if the Chalcidians really were planning that that night or if she just said that to control what was going to happen. I think the burning of the harbor validates her, right? Because, like... Yeah. Doesn't Greg do that, though? No. Oh. I thought, like... Cirilla comes up and talks to Greg, and... I thought a bunch of traitors did that. He puts her in, like, to dance with Rain, and is like, listen to what she has Mm -hmm. to say. She just told me some crazy stuff. Yeah. I mean, I I do think that it's Cirilla, like, trying to take advantage of a situation... Like obvious, like because because we just saw her thinking about that, but I I don't think she engineered the whole thing. Well, and did she suggest that they take the satrap up the Rainwild River? I I don't I don't think so. I don't think so. Because I mean, I think her suggestion was just like you should take him before they take him. Yeah. And it is really suspicious that she like talks to the Rainwilders instead of the Bingtown traders. Because like technically Bingtown is their town and the Rainwilders are not outsiders, but they're not like The Rainwilders hate Jamalium more though than the Bingtowners. Like the Rainwilders are the ones that have been kind of leading the crusade of like we should be independent. But I don't think and from, she knows that. What she does know is, because we, we see her thinking in a previous chapter, she knows that the Rainwilders have some sort of monopoly over the river. She knows that uh, Bingtown traders like offer like tribute or gifts to them at the summer ball, and she like, she even like says like, maybe there's like a subservient relationship there. So she's, I think she's sort of making the assumption that the Rainwilders call the shots essentially. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. Like, she doesn't know the politics, but she's able to make some assumptions. Right. 
which aren't exactly correct. Yeah, yeah. I was impressed with Malta's self-awareness in this chapter because, um, like, not a lot of girls of her age would necessarily understand what the satrap was insinuating, but she gets it right away and understands, like, her the position that she's been put in. Um, and then she also calls Rain out when he's like, you're little more than a child. She's like, if I'm little more than a child, then where's your honor in trying to marry me? Which is, I was like really happy when she said that. Cause I'm like, yes, that's a very good point. Um, but then another thing that she does is like when her and Rain are arguing, um, she ha has a moment where she's like, this is what my father does to my mother, like throws her words back in her face in a twisted way. And like, that's really impressive for a teenager to be able to stop and realize like, oh, I'm behaving the way that my father does, in, like not a good way. I was just impressed with her. Yeah, I, I did note all of that and I thought that that was really, we got to see the growth of her a lot in this section. And I think another thing that showed how much she's grown is when she, like, leaves from that situation with the satrap and she's trying to find her family and she, like, can't. And it's like she hurried on, searching the crowd for her mother, her grandmother, even her little brother. All she wanted was some safe refuge for a few moments until she could gather herself. And, like, it shows how much her relationship and her view of her family has changed since the beginning of this book even because now she views them as like her only safe refuge when at the beginning of the book she viewed them only as like her enemies trying to like do everything they can to bring her down right She also reminded me, like, when she gets really mad at Rain for being patronizing, it reminded me a lot of Althea's reaction to Greg when Greg is, like, also being patronizing. Mm -hmm. and just another way that Malta and Althea are very similar, even though neither one of them wants to acknowledge it or recognize it. Yeah. And Malta, like, having that knowledge and insight and wisdom and stuff about like what ne Dello made her like what made Dello say you sound like you could almost be a man like it's just her like acting like a best white woman and also acting like her Anna for sure mm -hmm. especially because she like almost shrugged and then she's like wait I have to be a lady let me just raise my eyebrow instead <laughs> like yeah. Althea for sure would have just shrugged this chapter really is the Malta show, and it's it's great. I, I, I'm really hoping that after reading this, uh, like I, I don't think there's a way that you can not be on Malta's side, but I'm I'm really hoping that Jared and Julia are like team Malta after this because God, she's so great in these chapters. She like she is incredible, and she's like, what makes her super compelling in this section is, I think, is that she's still like. I guess it's like, how do I even put this? Like, 
she's grown, but she's obviously not like perfect. Like like Hob writes her in like this really way where she's like still super vulnerable, but she's like gathered up like the skills and knowledge to like have a response to lots of these real like really fucked up situations. So like I don't know, it it's just it just feels very like real in that way. In like Malta's character development, I think is has the most attention paid to it uh, out of any of those characters. Because there's a lot of different character developments throughout the series, and I, and I think that it really pays off. Um, I think also what makes it real is that like we see Malta is not just this like fully grown up person from the childish person she was at the beginning of the book because like when she's with Gello you still see her being young and like still like a teenager and being excited about these things and this party and like all of these people and everything and like just having her have one little moment of being carefree was very refreshing because she has been so serious and so somber and so like upset for such a long time that seeing her have a little bit of happiness was nice for a minute, even though it doesn't last. Yeah, I agree. And even the scene earlier where, like, she's, like, looking for a member of her family, it shows growth in that she trusts them, but it also, it doesn't show not growth, but it still shows that she's, like, I think that, uh, like, what do you call she's it? She's still kind of reliant on them. Yeah, exactly. Like, this... And comfort. Mm -hmm. which also I don't mean to imply that it's like entirely a childish trait or whatever it is entirely reasonable for adults to like want to lean on people they care about in moments of high stress but I think it's just like she isn't suddenly like yeah I'm independent and cool and mature it's like no I'm still some I, I still like I'm still like relying on other people and I still have like I'm not like suddenly a perfect like emo emotional like response machine like I'm still I, I yeah, I'm still growing yeah I feel like adults sometimes have difficulty accepting that they need help and like leaning on their family and with kids like when they get spooked their immediate thought is like I need to turn to like my mom or my parent like whoever I view as a protector. And so Malta still does have that youthful view of family where like they can make things right and they still know a little bit more and better than I maybe do. Even if that's not true, it's that like youthful belief that it'll be okay because I've got my mom with me. And that sentiment is like she immediately realizes that isn't the case when like she goes to try and find her mom rain catches up and her mom just like sort of fades over she, she just like sort of shuffles away and she's like okay i can't rely on her right now mm -hmm. i gotta have this conversation with rain alone yeah rain is in this chapter she like bounces between oh my god i love him i'm so glad that he's here to, oh my god, like, why is he still here? Why is he talking? Because, like, he's so good at some points. Like, I love how immediately he just dropped everything and was like, okay, like, I know exactly how to help. Like, let me just do what Malta needs and, like, get her to her mother. And then 
he turns around and is like, like he like he had hurt her and now he she was wandering this crowd like a lost kitten. He needed to speak to her. She was so vulnerable. Like I wrote in my notes before that, I was like, oh maybe Rain's like slowly learning that Malt is not to be trifled with and that she's like this grown woman who won't tolerate his patronizing. And then he goes around and does that and I'm like, I spoke too soon. <laughs> and it's so fucking weird because the reason that he originally like fell in love with her allegedly was like the stuff in this in this dream box where she where it was like he was even telling like I like whoever that like she has like fire in her or whatever. And now he's like, Oh, my poor baby, little baby and it's just like, No, you know she isn't like that, so why do you keep like it feels like his entire where did Rain get his idea of romance from? Because I really feel like he read like some the rain some rain wilder version of a trashy early 70s romance novel and like has based his entire idea of romance on this like i need to be chivalrous and protect the poor widow woman yeah and it's like when he's not trying to be romantic he's like he's he's a natural at it but then anytime he tries he's just like such a fucking failure yeah that's true <laughs> Stealing my fucking show. I love her, but she's in my way. She wants attention. And she takes it. She's a little princess. But she's got to sit her ass down somewhere. I wish there was like something to do with some tiger in the session so I could be like, speaking of needing attention, <laughs> like a cat. No, but there's no dragons in the sen section, unfortunately. We just get like a reference to them with Malta talking about her dreams and stuff. Like, like there's I the one. So... Oh, sorry, go ahead. I was just gonna say I'm really excited for when Tintaglia like melts the faces off all the Calcidian like soldiers mm. with yeah. her. I know. I'm very excited about that. Honestly, props to Chalcedians for like actually trying to fight a, a full ass dragon. If I if I saw right. if I was just like dragons are just a myth, and then I saw one coming, I'd be like, nope, nope, I'm I'm getting back on the ship. Actually, uh, fuck the ship. I am jumping in the harbor. We're swimming back home. Yep. Speaking of Chalcid and stuff, they are definitely Russia. Like, if we were drawing real-world comparisons, they're Russia, because they're trying to claim all the lands that are around them, like, to the north and to the south, acting like they deserve it and it's, like, rightfully theirs. But they can't even take care of the people that are already, like, within their control. Like, they're not taking care of anybody. They're just out there conquering more, gathering more power, but it's not doing them any good. Their people are still starved and stuff. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah. I I definitely got like uh, what do you call it? Like especially in Rainwilds where we get to see inside Chalcid, I kinda got like uh, like Saudi Arabia vibes from like the from some of the like it feels like it's a mishmash of like uh, a few different like uh, different types of countries like there's it feels like there's definitely like some 
like the way they describe the ar architecture and stuff, there's like, uh, that like feels like there's Aztec influence in there, but the the like the really like weirdly patriarchal hierarchical thing felt like super on the nose Saudi Arabia from just like how crazy it is. Mm. But yeah, in terms of like their, I guess uh, their foreign policy. Definitely very Russia. Weed. I'm getting really political in this, in this one. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I have to hold my computer because Frodo's in my lap and my arms are sore. Oh, we have two different guests for this podcast. Okay. I know. He's being... And then he gets mad at me if I try to, like, rest it on my knee or something. <laughs> oh, yeah. Okay. So, end of this chapter. Um, through horrible twist of circumstances, mainly Davad's own fault. Um, Kefria, Ronica, Malta, the satrap, and Davad, and Kiki, and Cirilla, or actually not Cirilla, just Kiki, uh, all end up in the same carriage going home, but uh, Grag slash Rain's uh, forces come to capture the satrap and uh, spirit him away. In the process, uh, they kill Davad, uh, and is seriously injure Malta, leaving her for dead. I don't really have a note about that, other than uh, I forgot that that you forgot. Oh yeah, that, that it was rain. The, I I didn't remember whether it was rain or what, whether it was the. Chalcedians until rain comes next chapter and is like, I didn't mean for it to happen, guys. My bad. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, my, my only note was I, I felt like I was really surprised that Hob let us in on the fate of all the characters. I feel like it would be really on brand for Hob to just be like, to end on the crash and then we find out the fate of everyone like next chapter. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. Like, like that fucking chapter from earlier in this book where she's like, Kenneth stopped breathing. Anyways. It was like four chapters ahead. <laughs> <laughs> this is the part where Kefria stepped on Malta and I laughed. <laughs> I feel bad for Malta getting stepped on, but that was funny. He was probably fine. What? Most of her concerns. Oh, yeah. I think that's all I had for that, too. I think... I don't understand exactly how it happened. Is the road that they were on, like, like a cliffside road? Like, how did they... I pictured it like they're on a little road, and then it's, like, a cliff and brambles or something on one side so the carriage like went over and then like stopped i don't understand how 
Veronica, Kefria, and Selden flew out, but Malta stayed in the carriage. Unless it's just because they were on the other side, like the other seat, and like the door burst open closer to them and they like got flung out or something. Yeah, I don't really get it either. I think they like, like I'm envisioning it like, there's like the carriage, um, and I think that it's like there's like the it's it, like there there's two facing each other, right? And I thought like the back seats just sort of flew off. Devad and the driver like just tumbled off that way, and then the people on this seat, which is the safe trap Kiki and Malta. We're stuck inside. I don't know the phys- how the physics of it works, but that's just how I imagined it. Mm-hmm. Also, I remember this way. I was just sad when I first read this part. But for like, obviously, Devad is like a like an asshole. But I was like, we're giving out we're giving out redemption arcs like hotcakes here. Could we not get one for Devad? Especially because I, I feel I feel like he has so much to like. I felt like he had. What do you call it? Like there's lots of there are lots of ways for him to come back to the light, but instead he just sort of he died doing what he loved, uh, being a greedy money grubbing asshole. I kind of don't think he was redeemable. I feel like he's so set in his ways. He's like one of those old racist white people that no matter how much you try to explain something to them, they're just like beyond saving Mm -hmm. yeah that's how I viewed him too just because like he would need someone to walk him through step by step how to change and get better and nobody's got time for that and nobody's got the patience to teach him anymore like he's like a child and like nobody's got time to raise another child let alone the ones they have I guess my, my thought was more like, in times of crisis, great transformation is possible. So I was hoping that, I don't know, I just, I was just holding out a spark of hope for him, just because, I don't know. I didn't. Good riddance. It would be nice, but I hate feeling secondhand embarrassment, or like cringiness. Mm-hmm. And he made me feel that a lot, so I was really happy when he died. <laughs> like this was just like your honor, cringe, <laughs> death. <laughs> okay, next up we have chapter thirty-three proofs. Um, bunch of stuff. Uh, happen in this chapter. We have Kenneth musing on his plans for rebuilding Gibby Town, which we talked about a little bit. Um, Althea is having trouble dealing with one of the hands named R2 uh, and has to take matters into her own hands when the ship is attacked by a serpent. Uh, and then uh, Rain uh, comes, like, Ronica and the rest of the Vestrix are recovering from the, the attack last night when rain comes through and spirits Malta away to the rain wilds. People never call in care for sure. This yeah. section, the whole time I was reading, I'm like, she is acting like Edward Cullen. Like, <laughs> I couldn't unsee it. 
is Edward this active? I always, from what I remember of Twilight, I always thought that Edward is was like <laughs> super passive. What? In the books, he is. Yeah. I just remember him, like, like in, doesn't, doesn't he get, like, in the second book, he's just sort of, like, be like, I'm gonna, I'm gonna leave you now, Bella, and I'm gonna get super depressed, and I'm gonna burn myself in Italy or something. Yeah. That's yeah. rain. <laughs> <laughs> he literally goes in the clutches of a dragon to save his love, like. Yeah, but like, I'm, I'm saying, like, see, he, he's always, he's always, like, I'm gonna save Malta. Meanwhile, Edward is out here, like, I'm gonna burn myself. He thought she was dead. He thought Bella had died. But there's a part in the books where he literally, like, fucks up her truck so that she can't go hang out with Jacob. Wait, really? Jacob. It's like, mm, oh. Yeah, it's not good. That, those kids are not healthy relationship-wise. No. Um, it's just the vibe. Like, Rain's vibe is sometimes Edward Cullen. He is a, he is very vampire actually. So you know what? I buy it. Yeah. I did not like that he just like walked into her family's home and was like, "I'm taking her." And they're all like, "Um, no." And he's like, "I don't care. I'm taking her. She's I mine." I kind of loved it. I ah, uh, it just made like the feminist in me want to die. Like oh, she's yeah. not She's not yours. Like, ugh. Don't be gross. Yeah. Trying to save that. Especially off the back of the stuff he was saying uh, at the ball, it felt like. Like, that, like, compounds it. Yeah. 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 But. Like, I feel like he wouldn't have ever done that in any other circumstance. It's just, like, these are dire times. Bingtown is literally burning, and he's trying to save the only person that he really, like, love loves. I yeah, love how he's like, look, I don't care if you guys come. You guys can fucking die for all I care, but I'm saving Malta. Well, he also is like, I will do this if I have to. Like, Malta will be the only one I take, but I also don't want this to be how it goes. Like, I want Malta to, like, have her family. She needs you guys. Come with us. Because he could have just taken her and been like, fuck all you guys. But he didn't. He's like, you guys should come too. And he like made it their choice. Mm-hmm. Especially because he's like, would you see your little son with a slave tattoo on his face? And I'm like, mm, that would make both her sons look like they... It is, I feel like this marks the first time Ronica makes a single decent choice with, with like, letting them go. It's, yeah. it's, it's, like, it's such a funny choice for her, for it to be her decent choice. It's like, oh, okay, we're gonna let my granddaughter get kidnapped, and this is the good decision I'm making. Yeah. <laughs> this should have been the chapter titled The Storm because everything and then some I feel happens in this chapter. Like there's so many different things like everything with Althea happens in this chapter and it's just like wild. Well, they should have just called last chapter before the Yeah. <laughs> Made it a three part thing before the Definitely. Um, yeah, I 
also I love like the callback to the dream box where like Rain is like I saw it he dreamed too and it's like dream true and it's like oh yeah because she had the dream of him like literally kidnapping her yeah I love that I thought that was good that was kind of the line like his crazy laugh and like saying stuff like that reminds me of when like Edward like just kind of throws all control to the wind and he just starts doing what he wants that's the vibe that I get with Rain not all of the like bad things of Edward word word but you mentioned the Altia scenes that were happening in this chapter uh, do we want to go to those? yes because those are wild so it starts off with uh, her trying to get R2 who is one of the uh, who is one of the hands and also just like I forgot that he was brash and rapist I don't know how I like, forgot that too it just feels like so like out of nowhere like how does he get on the crew if that's the case wouldn't Brashen have been like uh no not you and how does no, I don't know think... it? it's I not the guy who raped Brashen it's just yeah. the rapist that Brashen's like like warned her about he's like oh. they're the rapist oh <laughs> <laughs> no, because I would not have survived and been on the crew. No, no, no. <laughs> okay, yeah, because because we we do know that Brashen was molested at one point because he mentioned yeah. it. So I thought that this was the guy, and so I was like, what the fuck? No, I don't think he knows who it was. Yeah, like I'm sure they're. Yeah. I thought it was like some random pirate guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But no, at the beginning or earlier, Brashen's like. There's a known rapist on the crew, and but Althea's like, so this is the rapist. yeah, yeah, R two. I forgot that this whole thing happened, and when I read that name, I was like, I know that I hate him, but I don't remember why. And then I like immediately found out why. And it sucks because it's such a cute name. It reminds me of R two D two. Yeah, it does remind me of R two D two. I thought it was just a lazy version of Arthur. <laughs> I loved this scene with Althea, though. She is so freaking badass, and I love her so much. And she was going to throw his ass overboard, and, like, all of the superiors were just going to turn the other cheek, and I loved it. Mm-hmm. I loved and it. She knocks all his teeth out with her forehead. Oh my god, I know. And that was, like, unintentional, but she's like, eh, I'll work with this, I guess. <laughs> yeah, she, like, she tries to, like, like headbutt him and it's like I'm, I'm so short that I actually just knocked his teeth out but it works and like she's mentioned like scraping her forehead on the needle and she's like I would have rather been bitten by a rat than like have yeah. teeth and you're like oh yuck Gross. but there's a little clue as to what happened to Kenneth because Rashin says that Clef said Paragon was raving about Althea being killed and uh, Egrot literally, like, sexually assaults Kenneth to death when he's little. Mm-hmm. So uh, Paragon, like, associates that. Like, oh, if you get raped, you die. 
they were also beating the shit out of each other, but I didn't make that connection. That's true. Yeah, I didn't either. I totally forgot about that. But that makes, like, so much sense. Yeah. Poor Paragon. That must have been scary, especially to, like, be aware of all of the things that happened, but not be able to stop them or help. Because it's, like, in the middle of its hold. It's not like you can reach back there and grab them. Well, and I remember there being another part where, like, Althea and Brashen have consensual sex on Paragon, and he's, like, he, like, panics. He's, like, why is Brashen doing that to her? Mm. And then he realizes that it's, like, consensual, and he's, like, oh, Mm. this happens when they're not, like, being forced or in pain. It's, like, that's sad. Yeah. Or Althea. Yeah. But also, like, I get Al- I get Althea wanting to have control of the crew and, like, feeling like she can do whatever, but I feel like it's a little bit irresponsible of Brashen to, like, have her be alone with some of these people. Because, like, she can hold her own, clearly. Like, if one or two things hadn't happened, like, she would have been assaulted and killed. I think that Brashen, like, if Brashen knew about it, he would have made sure that R2 is never on, like, her watch or whatever. But because Lavoie is the first mate, like, anything that he does, Brashen doesn't, like, Brashen's not nitpicking at what he's, the choices he's making, so it was him who made that decision, and Brashen didn't have any clue about it until Althea was dragging R2's ass up and, like, overboard. Mm-hmm. And I yeah, think, that's a good point. Yeah. I think, like, Brashen has really, like, learned that he... Althea would be mad at him. If yeah, like, he, yes. At, at the end of this section, she like almost like she bristles when he thinks that he's like insinuating that he should have been there to protect her or something, or that she shouldn't have done that. And then he switches tack completely. But yeah, mm-hmm. she's a little bit impossible. <laughs> but I love her. <laughs> yeah, I think it's. But I I think the thing of, like, at a certain point, there was a thing of, like, she didn't know her own abilities and boundaries, right, when she was on the Reaper. But I think now she's really coming into her own, and I think that Brashen respects that she knows when she needs help and when she doesn't, even if she is stubborn about it sometimes. I'm just, I cannot handle Althea and Brashen right now. I loved when um, she left and Clef was staring at them and spying on them. And she's like, spying isn't good. And he's like, neither is kissing your captain. (laughs) No, I love Clef so much. I love Clef. He was their test child for sure. (laughs) Test child? 
They should have named their actual child Clef 2. That would have been a better name than Boyo. (laughs) Yeah. Paragon used to think better names. I guess, yeah, I guess Clef really is Bracken's child now, huh? Yeah. It's like how Fitz has Hap. Yeah, definitely. Except Clef has his shit together more than Hap, somehow, even though he's younger. Yeah. Yeah, I would argue that Hap is a worse teenager than Malta. I could see that. He's less, like, overtly vicious, um, but he makes more stupid choices. Yeah, Yeah, and his stupid, like, I it feels like Malta's personality as a teenager is worse, but... Fitz does this really dangerous thing called giving Hap too much freedom, and Hap takes so many stupid things. Like, if, if one thing went a little too wrong, Hap could have sunk his entire rest of his life, basically. Yep. Yeah, it's like, we see parenting extremes. Fitz basically lets Hap do whatever he wants, and trusts him to make good choices, and the Vestrits try to control everything that Malta does. And don't trust her to make any choices. Any choices. I mean, yeah. Yeah, why wouldn't Hap make good choices with such a great role model like Fitz? Right. Well, and Fitz like won't have a conversation with him at all. He'll just be like, "He'll do the right thing" without like explaining to him how the world works or anything. And if Fitz like, is like, this parenting stuff is hard." Yeah, Hap knows how to cut logs and make a good fire. Surely he'll be successful in the world. Look, I I gave him a carpentry apprenticeship. He knows how to cut logs. Those both involve wood. He's going to be great. Yep. (laughs) It's like him knowing how to successfully feed himself in a cabin in the woods with just you and a wolf does not make him (laughs) like an apt adult. don't have any other oh my only other note is at the end um of the ronica section her and rach are like all that's left after everyone else leaves and it says um it's a ronica pov and it says like she turns to rach and she says well my friend or she says something to her but i just thought it was cute because um it's the first time I've noticed Ronica referring to Rach as a friend instead of like the former slave or the servant woman. Yeah. It only took Davad dying. Right. <laughs> In like two full books. Mm-hmm. It's still a good moment of growth, regardless. Um, mm-hmm. My note my last note for this was basically when the serpent attacks paragon he says like i know you i know you and we see that exact thing happen in the next chapter when she who remembers or is it, I, I think it's she who remembers it might just be a generic serpent it is it is she who remembers okay um yeah. comes close to vivacia and she says like the exact same thing i think it's when her I think it's flying. 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 
like on Winthrow, touches Vivacious hands. Mm. Yep. Which I mean would make sense given like how apparently how potent the memory slime is. Memory slime. Honestly, I kind of I kind of wish that like the serpents just like leaked blood instead for their memory stuff because there's this whole thing about like blood is memory, blood is memory, and it's like you have this this weak ass like serpent cocks and shit. Like, nah, commit, commit to the bit. This, mm-hmm. You gotta have the serpents bleed everywhere to share memories. <laughs> Yuck. I think it's just like bodily fluids in general. Yeah. Because the dragon saliva has memories in it, and that's how they like help make their cocoons and spread their memories. When the dragons fuck, do they get the memories of the other dragons? Oh, oh my <laughs> god, I hope not. That would be weird. I also want to understand how new serpent babies are born. Like, are they from eggs? I think the dragons lay the serpent eggs. Why do they have to fuck? Because that's what, it's the dragons having sex with the eggs, and the egg becomes the serpent, and the serpent becomes the dragon. It's like, um, like a butterfly. Don't. Okay, I, I think I don't know how eggs work. Butterflies lay the eggs and then they get fertilized. I think that other species, like, I don't know. We have eggs, and ours get fertilized on the inside. So, like, no, maybe Yeah, so I don't know if it's, like, are the eggs getting fertilized inside the dragon body or are they just laying eggs and then the male comes and fertilizes those eggs? I mean, given the fact that they fuck, I'm pretty sure that it's the former, right? Yeah. But they also just do it for pleasure because that's what Ice Fire and Tintaglia were doing for, like, years because somebody was like, oh, yeah, Tintaglia won't be mature and, like, fertile for, like, a year or two now. Do they do it for pleasure? Yes. I'm pretty sure out and she like flies to him I'm pretty, but like they hate each other they didn't like each other when That's she when she was the only dragon left she had no choice I guess we'll see in the next trilogy mm. well the next next trilogy yeah we see it more in rain wilds yeah but the beginning of it we see in this one in like the next one Speaking of seeing the beginning of stuff, uh, chapter 34, Oracle, in which we see the beginning of the rebuilding of the serpents and dragons as a whole. This chapter, Wintrow, Kennet, Vivacia, the whole shebang, go to Other's Island, and Wintrow's supposed to go meet an other on the beach, but he takes a detour and finds she who remembers trapped in a, a makeshift prison, breaks her out, uh, almost kills himself in the process. Um, and Kenneth and Etta are basically like, where the fuck did that boy get off to? And they chase after him. It's a whole shebang. And in the end, uh, she who remembers is set free to go and chase after the other serpents. And Kenneth gets to have a cool badass moment when the serpent lifts, she who remembers lifts him up to deliver him back to Vivacia. 
And unfortunately, that's mentally powered even further. I thought it was super wise to have the point of view from Etta instead of from Tenet when all of that was going down because it makes Tenet seem even more mysterious and like magical than he actually is. Because if we saw it from his point of view, we'd see that he's like terrified, thinking that Winter's dying and all of that stuff, but we don't. And so it's like, it makes like the new readers, I think, wonder about what's going on. Yeah. And then we wouldn't get lines like, and then Tenet performed his first miracle or whatever. Like, <laughs> I know. Yuck. I roll. They really, they really gave him protagonist energy for no reason at all. Yeah. Well, not no I reason, but yeah. I want to know what the like magic of the beach is because I know the others themselves are just like dragon human hybrid monsters. Um, and they're prophecies are just what they get from like touching she who remembers slime and like viewing the past so that there's not like magic there but there is something to what you pick up on the beach because Etta gets a baby um when what's his kid what's his name dutiful when dutiful goes there he picks up a little figurine that looks like Eliania, who he ends up marrying. And, and then Fitz find like the feathers of a rooster crown there too? Yeah. And Wintro, like the I didn't put this together, but one of the others was like, What you find on the beach must stay on the beach. And it's like what Wintro found on the beach was the serpent. Mm. Yeah. That's his like destiny thing. So I wanna know what that is. Especially since we know that even before the others set up like set up shop there it was an important location for the dragons because vivacia mm -hmm. says that she remembers multiple lifetimes starting there right mm -hmm. and so yeah. and we know that, that the others only set up shop there after like the whole fall and stuff so it just feels like that it just feels like that island slash beach is just magically significant for some reason citation needed well right. and there's a skill stone there too mm -hmm. yeah I think that it was where the dragons went to lay their eggs. I think so too. And that's why Vivacia remembers being there as a serpent and like beginning there and also like flying there as a dragon. And I think that's why she who remembers this got kidnapped there because she probably came out and like hatched and they knew what she was because they are the dragon human hybrids. So they knew that she could be used to their own benefit, and that's why they kidnapped her. And she didn't even get to leave the place that she hatched. Mm -hmm. But then it's sort of like a chicken or egg situation. Did the beach have the destiny magic, and that's why the dragons are there? Or did constant proximity to dragon hatching give the island some sort of magic power? And I have no fucking clue. I'm just, it just feels, I'm just curious. Yeah. It also makes me wonder, like, the others are, like, dragons that were, like, tainted by humans, right? So I wonder if, like, they were all in the same batch of eggs as she who remembers, and she who remembers just re retained her 
serpent slash dragon form because she has so much more memories. Well, the others all just hatch at the same time. We're like, get her. She's not like us. Yeah. Well, are they serpents or are they dragons? Because I thought that they were like cocooned dragons. But then how would they have gotten to the island in the first place if they had to swim the whole way? I have no clue. I yeah, think I, don't they, I think that like it's supposed to be like when a dragon egg is, is, is like exposed to humans, yeah, mm-hmm. like hatches yeah. as another. That like is confusing because then why aren't all the dragons in oh. elders like that? Yeah, that's true. It seems it's like there, there's some sort of like implication of like negative influence. And I have, like, no fucking... Because like, when they talk about it, it's like... They make it sound like the way that dragons shape humans. There's, like, an intent behind it that happens. But I don't remember. I would have to, like, look it up. Well, I think it's in Rainwilds um, when the... When the like dragon babysitters or whatever they're called um start when they start changing more it's like oh it's the exposure someone i don't remember if it's like elise or someone else says like does the reverse happen and someone's like abominations one of the dragons so and that's what she who remembers calls the others yeah so maybe it's when like dragons aren't around their kind enough to like counteract that. That would be my guess. I don't know. Let's ask Robin Hot. Yeah, when we do our last live show and have her on for a Q&A. And by Q&A, it's just us bombarding her with all of the little questions that we've had bottled up this whole time. <laughs> She'll probably be like, I don't remember. Yeah. We bring her in for a Q&A, and then we just, like, kidnap her and be like, you're going to write the series. You're going to write a happy ending for all of these characters. <laughs> Tell us now. There are a lot of badass lines in this chapter. Um, unfortunately, like I mentioned, a bunch of them are with Kenneth, but I shall not be remembered with ashes uh, goes incredibly hard. This is when Kenneth is talking about uh, Egrot burned down like a hundred towns or whatever, but I will build hundreds, and so I will not be remembered with ashes. And it's like, that is such a powerful line, and I think that it, it's really interesting because he's conventionally a really destructive person, slash, even especially to himself. But him expressing this thing of like, "I'm going to create rather than destroy," it feels it, it's like it's both out of character, and also it makes a lot of sense for sort of his goals of building a legacy. It's it's weird because he. He like vacillates between wanting to destroy all of these things which he hates and reminds him of his past, 
because he wants to try and build a future for himself. And he's sort of like, in the present, he isn't sure which things he should destroy and which things he should build a lot of the time. And my other badass line was Winthrow now having all of the knowledge from She Who Remembers is thinking about Vivacia. And he's saying, for so long she had believed she was truly alive. He must not let her know that she was dead. And it's like, oof. No, that one's rough. I remember reading that on my first read, and I still was not understanding that the live ships were like dead dragons, basically. And I was like, what does he mean? Oh my god, she's dead? Like, I did not get it. So this is something I was thinking about, and I think I've got my answer, but I was like, if the dragons reincarnate, do you also think that the people do, and that reincarnation is just kind of a thing in this world, and that Winthrow was an elderling in a past life, and that's why he is so in tune with like the dragons and the serpents and all of that stuff? And... Like, that's why he knew them in his meditation in addition to, like, knowing them from Vivacia. And I think that it is true. I think reincarnation is a thing for the whole world, not just for the dragons. Because the fool in the last trilogy, in the last book, I think, talks about how, like, them and Fitz have lived these lives together, being, like, like white prophet and catalyst and stuff like that many a time and this is just the first this is the like point in time where it's important for them and like that it actually is working yeah i so, could see that yeah or then like the the less reincarnation and more memory stone related like the way that Telator kind of takes over Rapskull and is able to like live another life, basically. Yeah. It's interesting because that he like brought that up in relation to the dragons because I almost feel like the dragons have like this physical thing which isn't really reincarnation. Like they have this cyclical thing going on. But separate from that, there definitely, I feel like, is reincarnation and just how the cycles of time and stuff work. Because I think the, the clearest thing is when, in the first trilogy, we have the idea of Realder's Realders? Is it Realder's Dragon? Like, yeah. they have all the visions on the Skill Road, right? And yeah. Fitz and the Fool like, feel like, oh yeah, like that was us at a different time. Um, yeah, that's what I was thinking. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's weird because, like, I feel like it's such, like, a spiritual thing, reincarnation, and meanwhile these dragons are just like, yeah, we, like, that's just our life cycle. We just, we never, yeah. we never stop not living. Mm -hmm. Which The dragon life cycle is so similar. The way that she who remembers it describes it as a circle in the same thread is, like, almost 
identical to the way that the fool describes the cycle of time to Fitz. And somebody in this section also was talking about the cycles. I wonder if it was the charm. It was the charm talking to Stannis. Yeah. About yeah. how it like is the same thread and it just wraps around itself like over and over and over, getting bigger and bigger. Mm. So like the dragons are like it, it makes even more sense why the dragons have to be brought back because they are literally like the physical representation of the cycle of time. Yeah. <laughs> insight that came from this section is just like the theme another theme of this book is freeing those who are trapped and it's like the physical thing of like paragon freeing paragon from the beach she who remembers from others islands contaglia from her cocoon but it's also freeing like the people from their mindsets it's like freeing Bingtown from being trapped in the past it's like wintrow from like longing to the monastery to living his life and like Althea from well Althea's not yet free from like her life but she is gonna get there from like the life she she thought she was gonna have to the life that she's actually gonna live mm -hmm. and like in the section there was like a similar thing where Malta was talking about like I sometimes I feel helpless as though there's nothing I can do to change the bad times and other times I feel like I just lack the courage to do so and it's just about like exactly that just making people freeing them from their feeling of like I can't do anything and giving mm -hmm. the ability to have agency in their lives well like I guess in Wintrow's case accepting that he doesn't have the agency to do what he wants. He has the agency to do some other things, but yeah. My last note was just when, like, after he's fallen off the cliff and onto She Who Remembers and, like, gets her slime all over his body, um... Edda describes him as being like super swollen all over like his whole body and he's like wobbling around trying to fight the others and I pictured um in Ghostbusters when the Stay Puft Marshmallow guy like gets to be the size of the Empire State Building and he's like wobbling around <laughs> in the streets <laughs> that's how I pictured Wintro and it made me laugh and then I was like I shouldn't like be laughing at his pain like this but well that's all right we're laughing at all the best right children's pain because i laughed when malta got stepped on so <laughs> just that kind of episode my last note i think is a question because when vivacia gets them it's like silver tears of joy streamed down live ship's carved face and fell like jewels into the water First of all, I did not know that live ships could cry. And do you think that's actual silver? Like, capital S silver? Or is it, like, just water that looked like it was silver or something? I think it's capital S silver because the serpents always call, like, they call the ships the providers. But sometimes they'll say, like, the silver ones. 
And so I think that that differentiates, like, a regular old ship from a live ship because they have, like, scale threads in them from the dragon. So I wonder if her crying, like, silver, like, it went into the water, so do you think that she who remembers kind of sucked it up? In the end section, I think, because I remember she remembers mentioning Vibratia at some point during mm-hmm. that like final epilogue. So I'm pretty sure Bolt's coming out very soon. Yeah, I don't know. I don't think that Bolt comes out in this book because we don't see Wintro again. Wintro after this. So I think that she comes out in Ship of Destiny, and that's when crazy stuff happens. Like Ship of Destiny is just everything happening. That's really funny because I remember Ship of this Destiny being like nothing is happening until everything does. Yeah. Well, well that's how a lot of Robin Hobb books go. Mm-hmm. Especially, I feel, especially I feel like last books of trilogies. Like mm-hmm. in the first series, it's like we're doing a bunch of traveling. Oh, the dragons are awake. Cool. In Ship of Destiny, it's like we're doing a lot of traveling. Oh god, Paragon and Vivacia and everyone are in the same place all at once. And then, like, in Fool's Faith, it's like, we're traveling to Oslofjall. Oh my god, we found we found the White Lady and all this other shit. And freed a dragon. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, she just, I feel like there's, like, some inexorable urge in, like, Robin Hobb to be, like, the first 600 pages of this book are going to be traveling, y'all. <laughs> it meanders, like... for sure. Mm-hmm. I don't remember the last book of Rainwild, but I feel like it wasn't that. I feel like the last book of Rainwild actually was... That's when they finally stop traveling. They're yeah. traveling. Yeah. <laughs> Once they travel until they settle down. Yep. with that we're done with this week's episode thanks everyone for listening and we'll see you next week for the conclusion of mad shit goodbye bye